2 Peter chapter 2, reading from verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed to them, committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the righteous under punishment for the day of judgment and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Okay, we'll stop there. So, we are going to look at these two men's lives today, both Noah and Lot. Now, I I have mentioned this, I mentioned this last week. I really studied this week. I read five or six commentaries this week to try to understand this man Lot. I think it was five commentaries I read, and I got five different understandings of Lot, okay? And I am sure that if I read ten commentaries, I would not have less than five different understandings of this man Lot, probably more than five. Many commentators skip over the life of Lot as they're going through 2 Peter. They just skip it. They just said it says he was righteous, and they move on. Other commentators, Commentators, uh, they 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 will they will skim. They will just touch a little brief thing about it and then move on. Uh, uh, one got into more detail. I don't know who is right. I'm not a theologian. Because I'm not a theologian, I have to be all the more careful. I have to be all the more careful that I don't teach something that, that's just really far off base. But I, I'm, what I'm telling you today is 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 that. I'm going to give you a little bit of a composite of different things, and in none of this is it my opinion only. Okay, um, <clears throat> so this is a story of two righteous men. One of them is Noah, and this is talked about in in the scriptures. Uh, for Noah, it's in Genesis. We'll start reading in Genesis chapter six, verses five through fourteen and verse twenty-two. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from animals, from man to animals, to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But nowhere Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Remember that. Noah found favor in the eyes of God. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Remember that. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. I want you to remember that. In Noah's generation, the earth was corrupt. The whole earth was corrupt. It was filled, filled with violence. <clears throat> okay, so this was not a pleasant world at the time. 
God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. Verse 22 of Genesis chapter 6. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him to do. Noah did everything that God commanded him to do. He was a righteous man. He walked with God. The earth was violent and wicked. And he did everything the Lord wanted him to do. Okay, let's turn to Genesis chapter 19, reading from verse 1, reading about Lot again. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night, and wash your feet. Then you may rise and go on your way. They said, However, no, but we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they lay down, the men of the city... The men of Sodom surrounded the house, both young and old, and all the people of every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may have relations with them. So what does this mean? It means that these two angels, and and, uh, we can't backtrack all the way, but there were two angels that came down into the city. They were sent by God, and they were going to assess whether the city was was uh, uh, deviant enough to be destroyed. They, Lot says, please come and stay in my home. They said, no, we'll stay out in the square. He insisted. He cooked a big meal for them. While they are there, the men of that city surround the house, and they say, give those men to us. They wanted to rape those men. The men of the city wanted to rape those men. These were violent, wicked men. Uh, it was... It was Violent and wicked in the days of, of, uh, of Noah, God destroyed the earth except for the family of Noah. And here the men have become wicked and violent again. God is going to destroy the city. This was enough for the angels to see, yes, there was violence here. Was, did Lot do righteously? Absolutely. He protected these men. He tried to protect them. He kept them in his home. Yet Lot was visit, living in this city. We are told three times in the book of, of Second Peter, that Lot was righteous. Three times. Twice that Lot was righteous, once that his soul was righteous. Uh, um, verse 6 of Genesis chapter 19, reading from verse 6. But Lot went out to them at the doorway, and he shut the door behind him. And he said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man. Please let me bring them out to you to do with them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came in as an alien and already is acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the doorway. So Lot goes out and he tells these men, don't do this to my guests. So they said, well, we'll do it to you too. 
and he, and he offered them his two virgin daughters who were not yet married. Very hard for us to understand, very hard for me to understand how heterosexual rape can be in some way anything better than a, than a homosexual rape. But this is what Lot did. This is why it's very hard for me to understand Lot. I know what Lot did when he and Abraham separated. Abraham offered him whatever direction he wanted to take. He looked down over that valley, over the Jordan Valley. He saw it was green. He says, I'll take that side. Abraham could have taken the good side. He let Lot take the good side. So there are these things in Lot's life that are very difficult to understand and how to relate this to, to Peter calling him righteous three times. Uh, this, this, this was the dichotomy in my mind going on as I tried to prepare for this message. Uh, so let's pick it up in verse, verse 12 of Genesis chapter 19. Then the two men said to Lot, Whom else have you here, a son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters. And he said, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters and who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the, hands, and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. When they had brought them outside, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you. And do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. And so then Lot negotiates with them a little bit and, and, uh, and other things happen. So you see that he had to be dragged out of there. He was hesitant. Remember, Noah did everything that he was told. This man was hesitant. He had his two daughters. His own sons-in-law wouldn't listen to him. They appeared to him jesting. Have you ever met a person? Have you ever met a person who you find out that they are a believer in Jesus Christ, and you're like, you're a believer? I never would have guessed it. You're saying that in your heart. Have you ever met a person like that, and you find out that they're a believer in Jesus, but there is nothing there? It's like you had, you had nothing in your life that imaged to me that you were a believer. You've never met anybody like that? Okay. All right, a few of you have. I've met a bunch of them like that. And, and, uh, and, and so um, there was, you know, Lot's eyes were on the world. He was, it was, it was on the world. The world's eyes were on Noah. The world looked at Noah as a righteous man. Even his own sons-in-law couldn't believe him. They're like, what are you talking about? I mean, you know, what gives? This is not like you. They thought he was joking around. They didn't even, they couldn't take their father-in-law seriously. Now, he had just offered his two sons and his two daughters to be given to this, this, this group of men. And uh, um, so you wonder what are his daughters thinking of him. So um, look, look, look in um, verse 32 of Genesis chapter 19. Now these are, we'll pick it up from verse, verse, uh, verse 30. 
Genesis chapter 19. Lot went up from Zoar and stayed in the mountains and his two daughters with him. For he was afraid to stay in Zoar and he stayed in a cave, he and his two daughters. Then the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old and there is not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine. Let us lie with him that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he did not know when she lay down and when she arose. On the following day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that he, we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she rose. Thus both daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn, the, the first bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. As for the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the sons of Ammon to this day. Very difficult to understand. Now, the law of Moses had not yet come, but still very difficult to understand. There are these two women, these two daughters of, of, of Lot. He had just offered them up to this crowd. They didn't want them. He's in a cave with them in the mountain. They say, look, there's no men around here. We'll never be able to marry. We'll never get impregnated. Let's just... Get our father drunk and he'll impregnate us. That's a crazy story, isn't it? I mean, the Bible is so real in the sense that it covers all of, of, of humankind and what humans are like. And I have seen this type of behavior, not where, where young women were trying to get their fathers to sleep with them, but I have seen before this behavior where... Young women, especially as they're approaching 30, are like, there's, there's no guy to marry me. I will never be able to get married. I'm a believer, but I will marry an unbeliever just because I want to get married. I've seen this many times. I've seen this happen, that people will put aside their faith, put aside what they know to do is right, because they feel that they have to marry. It's something that they have to do. I've seen this many times. And it generally doesn't work out very well. Just in my experience, it generally does not work out very well because when we disobey the word of God, it does not work out. When you become unequally yoked to your partner, imagine your partner has no life in Christ and you have life in Christ. You are talking about being unequally yoked. This is something you decided to do knowing that they were an unbeliever. So this sort of behavior I've seen before. Now, I have been drunk twice in my life before I was a believer. Once at age 16, another at age 17. Now, the drinking age was 18 back then. And, and uh, um, all you had to do was flash your driver's license and you got into any bar. Uh, the driver's licenses in my state, where I grew up at that time, didn't even have your picture on them. And uh, uh, so, you, you know, you just flash this thing and the bouncer would look, yeah, yeah, go, go ahead, come on, come on in, come on. If you could walk, you could get in there. And, and, uh, um, and but I, even though I was drunk twice in my life, never, never had I lost my senses enough to not know I, what I was doing in a context like this. In fact, I was very concerned about myself, whether I was going to, you, you know, get caught drinking and driving or something. I was very conscious of, of all of this, even though I, I, was, I was quite drunk. 
you had to be terribly drunk for, for this to happen. I mean, Lot had to be terribly drunk for this to happen, and he didn't even know what the Bible says. This is the man's life. We have it told to us three times in the book of 2 Peter that he was righteous. And I will tell you, these people that you look at, that know Jesus, that have accepted Jesus, accepted his, his resurrection, and believed in that, they are very much saved, and they are judicially declared righteous by the work that Jesus did. They were judiciously declared righteous. So if, if, you, if you look in, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says of Abraham, then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. To believe in the Lord, you were reckoned as righteous. Abraham believed in the Lord, you were reckoned as righteous, if you believed in the Lord. And, and uh, um, uh, you were reckoned as righteous if you believed in the Lord. And so what happened is that, that, that Lot was Abraham's nephew. Abra uh, Lot obviously believed in the Lord. He could be reckoned as righteous. But there are, there, we are urged in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, to offer our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is our spiritual service of worship. We are, we are uh, 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 told by God to offer our bodies. He, Paul says, brethren, offer your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. He says, brethren, do this. So he's speaking to believers. Paul is speaking to believers, and he says, now I want you to offer your body as a living and holy sacrifice. So when we are saved, we go from being slaves to sin to being free. We do not come under the subjection to Jesus Christ unless it's an act of the will. Paul encourages us, submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, become his bondservant. He doesn't force us to. We are free, and then we make a choice to follow Jesus. And we can make a choice to follow Jesus or not. Paul speaks of this. In, in, he speaks of this duality of behavior in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? He says, you guys are believers, but you're walking like mere men. He says, you are fleshly. Other translations say carnal. You are carnal. And you say, that's an offensive thing. Well, get over it. The Bible offends. The Bible offends, okay? The Bible offends. You read the Bible, it's going to offend us. And it is good. We need to be offended. It is good for us. Because we are wicked sinners, we need to be offended, and and uh, um, so he, he says he says here that that uh, you are still fleshly. One can be declared righteous and still walk in a fleshly manner. All of us know that because all of us have done it. All of us know the wickedness of our heart, the wickedness of our thoughts, where we can proclaim God, and then two seconds later, our wicked thoughts take over and bring us into all sorts of strange places where we will say and often do things that are so out of character for what we would want. All of us know the dual nature that we have. There, we can be judiciously declared righteous, but there can be fleshly acts among us. And, and we see this very sort of thing. Noah means rest. The word Noah means rest or peace. The word Lot means veiled. It means veiled. It's covered. And just like 
the believer who doesn't live out Christ, it's like Christ in them is veiled. It's covered. There's no, you can't even see Christ in that person. There's this veil. There's a, this, this righteousness that's talk, talked about. If you look in, in, in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter, chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, it says of Noah, Hebrews eleven seven. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So it says of Noah, of Noah, so in the New Testament we are several times, when it speaks, in this he's not speaking of the end times, but whenever he speaks of the end times and he references Noah, he references Lot. First Noah and then Lot. But here he speaks of Noah, he says, when he was warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence he prepared an ark. Remember for Lot, when Lot was going to be delivered, he had to be dragged out of his home. He had to be pulled out. They grabbed him by the hand and they pulled him and his wife and his daughters. They pulled them out. This is going to be much like this for the believer in Christ. They, 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 what's going to happen is they're going to be pulled out of this world into a place of protection with Christ. They're going to be pulled out of this world or else they would, they would want to stay in this world. Here, Noah, when he was warned, he began to prepare an ark for the salvation of his household. This is what righteousness does. Righteousness is not only about my own good and my own welfare. It is about the salvation of my household. It is about those around me. Righteousness cares for people beyond themselves. If you want to be righteous, what you do is you work very hard to teach your children in the ways of righteousness. It takes time. It takes effort. You get up in the morning and you instruct them in a family devotion, in family time, in family devotions in the way of God. This is what you do for your children. This is what you do for your household. This is what righteousness does. It cares about the welfare of your household. If you are too busy and too tired to wake up in the morning and spend time teaching your family the word of God, there is a problem. You may want to wonder if, if your life is veiled, veiling over the things of, of the, that Jesus has for us. There are things that he has for us that we are not to veil over. We are not to cover over. Before you get married, you learn to wake up and spend time with the Lord, spend time with him, because you are going to have to do this with your spouse. You're going to have to do this with your children. This is what righteousness does. He didn't just prepare an ark for himself. He prepared it for his household, by which he condemned the world. What happens is... The way we live our lives, very often, it is like condemning the world. Our lives are, are, are like this, this stench to the world because we want to walk righteously. It bothers people. And, and if you've not experienced this, I assure you, you will. There will be times where you're around unrighteous people and they will feel very uncomfortable around you. They'll feel like you are judging them just by your being around them. I didn't say a word but they feel like they're being judged just by your being around them. And Paul speaks about this. This is, this is spoken about uh, um, uh, in, in, in the Scriptures. So, so for example, in um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God who leads us in triumph in Christ 
and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. So when we are in Christ, 2 Corinthians 2.14, when we are in Christ, he leads us in triumph. And we manif- he manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Wherever we go, there is an aroma about us. The thing about aromas, you don't even have to say a word. They just carry with you. And Paul describes it as a sweet aroma. Verse 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. For we are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved. We are the fragrance of Christ. We are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved. And among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma of death to death. To the other, an aroma of life to life. Who is adequate for these things? He says, just by your very presence, you can be encouraging to to believers. Just by your very presence, you condemn the unbeliever. You condemn the world. This is what he says. When your life is not veiled, you are imaging Christ. God leads you in triumph in Christ. Noah was very busy. You know how long it took him to build that ark, him and his family? You know how long? How long? Anybody know? A hundred years. A hundred years. You say, oh, this is just make-believe. We've covered lifespans. So, Mr. Scientist, I know you're really good in science and all of this. But, but there is something called genetic entropy. And, and, and what happens is lifespans can be very long in the beginning, and then they begin to tail down and swing around. He was a long time building that ark. He was busy. There is work to be done. So if you look, for example, in, in, uh, in Philippians, Philippians, um, find this. Should have it here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If you want to serve the Lord, you are going to be busy. People who are serving the Lord are very busy. They are busy doing the Lord's work. People who are serving the Lord are very busy. Uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. You are making the most of your time. For 100 years, he built that ark. What was Lot doing? He was living in this sinful city. We don't find any works that Lot did specifically other than that day where he invited those men in and he in a noble fashion, did try to protect them. Now, his mode of trying to protect them is really strange to us by throwing his daughters to this crowd of men. But he did try to protect them. You make the most of your time. What you will find is that men and women who want to walk with God, you will look at their lives and you'll, see like, you'll be like, how do you do all that you do? I, I, I don't understand it. I just don't understand. I don't understand how you accomplish all that you accomplish. They don't even understand how they accomplish all that they accomplish. God multiplies their time because they are triumphing in Christ. They triumph in Christ. God does this when there is a desire to serve Him. When there is a desire to serve Him, 
He will make you very busy. The life of the believer is busy because generally you have to have a normal job to make money for your family because very few believers are ultimately in full-time ministry. And then on top of that, they're laboring in the church. They're laboring in their neighborhoods. They're laboring at work. They're teaching Bible studies. They're trying to meet with people and encourage them. And they're accomplishing so much more. This is what you find about Noah. The righteous life where he was condemning the world. Just being there was condemning the world. That's why it says in Second Peter that he was a preacher of righteousness. We don't see that in the Old Testament. It doesn't say that in the Old Testament. So, so just his life just his life was just exuding to the world this righteousness. But he was very busy for a hundred years. The man was laboring in busyness. This is what it is to serve the Lord. So you see this duality of lives. Both of these men are put before us as being judicially righteous. But one walked as a manifestation of, of Christ. He walked in this world differently. And the other one it was so hard for, for us to fathom the difference between him and a person of the world. You know, there, were, there was an occasional an, an, an act of good, even though he was judicially righteous for Lot. There was this occasional act of good. But, but there was this, this, this something that just wasn't clear. Christ was veiled over. And this is what happens. Christ can be veiled over. If you want to serve the Lord, you will be very busy. Righteousness takes takes control and says, I have to do this for my family. This is something that I have to do. This is a story of two righteous men, both of them judicially righteous. One of them, his life was just sold out for the Lord. The other, not so much. Not so much. It doesn't mean that he was unrighteous. He was still righteous. It doesn't mean that those believers that do nothing for the good of, of serving the Lord, that they're somehow unbelievers. No, they could very much be believers, but their life accomplishes very little. You see turmoil. You certainly do not see peace in their lives. And you will see that these believers that live unrighteously, their lives are in turmoil. Look at Lot's life. Here Lot lived in this city of Sodom. He was taken captive by these four kings and, and, and Abraham had to deliver him. Here he's living in this city and it says his righteous soul was vexed. This is a good sign that Sin still vexes your soul. That's all a good sign. But it didn't cause him to take any particular steps, it seems. And he was still in this city, and you see this life of turmoil. He's being told by the angels, you've got to get out of here. And he's like, you know, he's torn. And finally they have to take him by the hand and yank him on out. There's this turmoil that goes on in the life of the believer who is not walking with the Lord. This is why Paul says, let's look in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, meaning he's speaking to believers, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You owe this. This is your spiritual service. You have to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. You want to worship God? Here's how you do it. You present your bodies. Everything. Verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So in other words, the believer goes from being enslaved to sin to being free. 
then it is the choice of the believer. We have this free will to decide, am I going to, as an act of spiritual service and worship, remember, they brought sacrifices. That was a free sacrifice. They, nobody put a gun to their head and said, you have to bring this sacrifice. They were free to bring a sacrifice. We can bring ourselves as a sacrifice to the Lord, which is our spiritual service of worship. And in that, we prove what the will of God is. So this portion that we're reading in 2 Peter, he's giving us two lives. And Peter knows very much what the life of Lot is like. So he underscores, look, the guy was judicially righteous. He was righteous because he believed God and that was righteous. But now what happens is, you you see what happens, the world can just pull on you. And you see the destruction of Lot's life. His sons-in-law were destroyed in that city. His, the, the, the men who were to marry his daughters were destroyed in that city because they could not receive his witness because the, it, it didn't model what they knew of Lot. And then when he gets up in this mountain, his two daughters deceive him to this point where it's like, how on earth could something like this happen? And then these offspring that are born be, end up becoming enemies of the Hebrew people. These are enemies of the he, Hebrew people. And and so you see all of this happens and the outcome of all of this. It could well be, and I have seen this, that believers, believers who do not walk with Christ, who live very much in the world, their lives, their families do not have much peace. It is, there's much turmoil in it. I can't say it's totally like the life of Lot, but it looks like a life of turmoil. There's always this tearing. There's always this duality of life where I know I shouldn't be doing this, but you know, I, I, I just have no control, and you go along with it. If you want to walk with the Lord, you will be busy. You will have a much busier life than if you do not walk with the Lord. If you walk with the Lord, you can't just sit around and watch YouTube all night. You can't just sit around and watch TV all night. You have to be busy about things of the Lord. And that starts now. You can't say, well, when I graduate, then I'll have more time, then I'll do it. No, you always have time for something. Even before you graduate from college, you have time to serve the Lord. There are occasions that you can learn to serve the Lord. And if you think your life will become a whole lot more free when you graduate, surprise. I've known many people that their lives became more complex because they got children and they got car payments and house payments and, 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 and jobs that made them fly all over the place. And, and uh, uh, you, you just have to get yourself to bed. Wait until you have to get three children to bed. You just have to get yourself up in the morning and washed up. Wait until you have to get three children up and washed up and to school and everything. You'll be very, very busy. Learn how to serve the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the lives of these two men that you've put before us. That both men knew you. But one life was a model to the world. The other life was thrown around by the world. Father, I pray for these young people. That you would give them a heart for Jesus. That they would display this in their lives. That they would offer their bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is their spiritual service of worship. And Father, I pray for the unbelievers who are here, who are enslaved to sin, who have not the ability to overcome sin. Father, I pray for the salvation of their souls. Please, Lord, 
save their souls. Let me see a soul saved today. Please, Lord, for the glory of Jesus and in your name. Amen.